0: If you would be turning in your Bibles to the book of Micah, we'll be in chapter one. We, we, we have to go in a chapter at a time, which means we can't get into all the details. Uh, we, we can't mind every aspect of it, but I would encourage you in the devotional, uh, there is some suggested resources. If you would like to go deeper uh, as far as studying the book of Micah, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, there are some begin, beginner, intermediate, and uh, um, more uh, advanced level resources suggested there. And so uh, if you have the time to do that, it'd be a great, great gift, I think, to you to do that. Uh, in the meantime, what we want to do is make sure that we, we hear from the Lord, that what we hear from the Lord is not condemnation. That's not why he comes and confronts. Notice that when he condemns, He doesn't come. The earth just swallows somebody up or they just drop dead. When the Lord shows up in person to condescend to us, it is always to call us to repentance and restoration. So praise be to God that he spoke to them this way then and he speaks to us this way now. And so I pray that we would have ears to hear So as you are turning to Micah, it is just after the book of Jonah in your Bibles, let me give you the key truth that we want to walk away with this morning. It's that God's judgment mercifully begins with calling his people to listen and repent. Let me say that again. God's judgment mercifully begins with calling his people to listen and repent. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." "'For this I will lament and wail. "'I will go stripped and naked. "'I will make lamentation like the jackals "'and the mourning like the ostriches. "'For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. "'It has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. "'Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, "'in Beth LaAfra. roll yourselves in the dust.' Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, In nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zachnon, do not come out. The lamentation of Bethazel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Marath wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds of the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish, it, is, it was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Morasheth Gath, to the houses of Achzib shall be a deceitful thing to the king, kings of Israel. It will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adulam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight." Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, how do you react when someone of some position of authority calls for a meeting with you? Like when somebody above you says, hey, we need to have a little chat. I know how you react when I reach out to you and say, hey, let's grab lunch or coffee almost invariably, people will say, what did I do? (laughs) What have I done wrong? Why would the pastor of the church take notice of me for any other reason than that I've done something wrong? I want you to consider that for a minute and how that permeates and affects when God goes to speak to us. How we have treated God much in the same way Job did. Remember, Job wanted to make sure that God stayed in the back of the universe and never came down and bothered him. And so he made sure that he sacrificed more than was even necessary so that God would be overly satisfied and not move to come near him. Now think about what that does to how we consider our relationship to God. That is a commodified relationship. And Micah uses those words when he speaks of the fee of a prostitute. And so we need to be careful that we don't desire that God never approach us as his people or speak to us or confront us. Because as we're going to see, what judge would you rather stand before than a God who is like Yahweh, who forgives and reconciles and is truly just? And so, as we step into this text, it's important for us to know that Micah ministered for between 30 and 50 years. We don't know exactly. It was sometime in the probably the mid-700s BC down into the early decades of the 600s. We have a span of kings listed here that would cover about 50 years. Uh, We do know that one of those kings actually listened to him. That was Hezekiah. In Jeremiah 26, it says that he actually heard the words of Micah of Moresheth and responded. So he actually listens to the word of the Lord and responds with lamentation and repentance. And so this book of Micah is not uh, uh, all of the sermons that Micah preached in that 30 to 50 year period. It's him taking his ministry and putting it in summary. And so what we see in summary is three cycles of judgment and hope and salvation. That's gonna be important for you to watch for. And even more important, that the book is bookended with a question, who is a God like Yahweh? It is hidden in the meaning of Micah's name, which is foreign to us because we don't speak their language, but we have the benefit because of scholarship of knowing that. So we begin Micah with the question. We begin this Advent season with a great question, who is a God like Yahweh? Who is a God like our God? And beautifully, the answer to the question for us on this side of Christ's work is that God is the God who forgives in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why he came. He came because we were sinners in need of a savior. He didn't come as the truer and greater Santa Claus. He didn't come to to make sure that all the good little boys and girls were rewarded. No, he came actually for those who had no hope, who had no chance to be in relationship with God. What a gift that truly is. And we would do well to keep that in mind this holiday season. So as we step into Micah, um, we we have to go fairly quickly, but notice who speaks first. God calls. It is God who speaks first, beginning in chapter 2. It is, he's saying, pay attention. Every Lord's Day worship that we have here, the call to worship serves as that call to you. This is why it is important as best you can, and I understand different ones of you have differing circumstances and kids and all kind of fun stuff, but as best you can to get here, now it's 1030, at 1030 to hear that call to worship, that's really important because that's God saying, hey, pay attention. I've got something to say to you and it's always good, even when it's hard, even when it's confrontational. And would that we would have that heart, right? That we would recognize that when the creator of the universe speaks, when the one who is righteousness incarnate, remember from Romans, he is the righteous plumb line, what kind of judge would you want to stand before? How many of you have ever been in a circumstance where you knew the fix was in, right? The persons in authority over you, they were not going to be just. They were not, they didn't know your heart. All they knew is some external circumstance by which they were going to judge you or somebody had influenced them not on your behalf but against you. I've been in that circumstance and I know many of you have as well. This is why it's important for us to see for God to serve as judge is exactly the person you would want to serve as judge. For he is holy, he is righteous, he is faithful, he is just, he is good, and he loves you. So we should not fear when the Lord says, I am coming to say something to you. When he says pay attention, it should be the very thing to which we lean forward to hear and try to clear the deck of all the other things that will compete for our attention, and there are many. And notice that even creation recognizes the Creator has come, the melting of the mountains. Now you may say, is that they're, they're running in fear? No, what's happening is they are clearing a straight pathway for the King to come. Think about the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. What was the, the, the prophet John's purpose? But to make straight the crooked places, to bring down the mountains, so that when the king would come, he would have a direct and clear and easy path to get to his people. And so creation's response is, is actually obedience and worship. We could learn from that, could we not? That when the king speaks... That we would lean in and listen and make sure that we are paying attention and that we are ready to hear from him. And notice what he has to say. He has a hard word. Why have I, he says, why have I come down? Well, it's because of the transgression of Jacob. Now, what we will find out further in the book of Micah is that it's not just idolatry which is mentioned here. It is rampant injustice. It is the mistreatment of the poor. It is the garnering of lands and greed and taking away from so that other people couldn't provide for themselves. Is this sounding familiar at all? This is important. This is a word for us today, and it's going to talk about how we view relationship with God, how we prefer actually a commodified exchange, not just with the gods we worship, but also with people that they are... Just commodities for us to trade in and benefit from. And that is not what the Lord our God is about. Because think about it what benefit are we to Him? He created everything, He spoke it into being. I've said this before. What is it we're going to do and show up and be like, hey, God, check this out? And Him be like, uh, man, I didn't even have a rubric for that. I didn't even know what that was. That's crazy. You outgotted me. It's not a thing, right? And so praise be to God that he would condescend to us and take joy in us. That should blow our minds, that the Lord takes joy in us who have really so little to offer the one who has everything. And so he's coming down and saying, you all are trading in commodities. You have have fashioned idols, and he uses this language of fee for a prostitute he's basically saying is you're just using each other. And if that's what you want to do, then that's all I'm going to leave you with. And what you're going to find out is you are the one actually being used, not everybody else. Not the things that you have created and fashioned by your own hand because wood and stone and metal can't speak. You are the commodity, not it, not them. And so he says this for the purpose of calling them. Now, one thing he does mention is that Samaria will fall first. Now, that happens historically in 722 BC. And so this would have been to signal to the people of Jerusalem, I'm serious. This is real. You've been warned. Now, you may say, did he love the people of Samaria less than Jerusalem? That's a whole historical conversation. But do remember the northern kingdom broke away from the Davidic lineage. In fact, they ignored the Davidic covenant and said, we don't need a king from David's lineage. They came up with their own worship. They had their own idols. You remember the golden bulls? They had their own priestly system. So they had departed from the Lord a long, long time ago. It is a testimony to his long suffering and patience that he waited all the way until 722 B.C., when the Assyrians arose and wiped them out. And so this is a warning to Jerusalem. They have seen that what the Lord is saying is true. So that should also influence them to lament and repent of their sins and to return to the Lord. Now notice the change in voice in verse eight. God is no longer speaking now. Micah speaks up. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals. Now, in their culture that's so different from ours or or aspects of our culture in in, in America, they would very much embody their lamentation. It was a very physical thing for them. They, They brought in all of the elements of their senses to engage with this issue. We tend to be a little more heady as far as certain aspects of our culture. We tend not to engage as fully the senses as probably we would benefit from because we reduce things to just some sort of simple math, some sort of knowledge problem. Is sin a knowledge problem? Did most folks sin because they just don't know? That's not the problem. Would that our repentance would not just act like it's a knowledge problem. Now, I'm not saying... All right, so some of y'all need to start ripping open your, your uh, button-up shirts and uh, throwing some dust on top of your heads. Maybe, if that would be helpful to you. Uh, but, but really, we need to think about how we can better embody more in full so that we are not fooled into thinking that we have merely a knowledge problem or even a behavioral problem. No, you have a heart problem. You have a relational problem. And those things can't be fixed stoically. Those things can't be fixed with a stony gaze and no evidence that the heart has been moved or changed. And so Micah is saying, and this is beautiful, he's not even guilty of these things. And he says, I'll go first. I will show y'all what this looks like. Now notice how many times in our culture have people said, well, I don't have to repent for that stuff because I didn't do X, Y, or Z as if that's a biblical thing, right? Just because you didn't doesn't mean you can't lament what happened and its effects and impact. It doesn't mean that you cannot participate in the reconciliatory process by which justice, by God's hand and God's word, can be brought to be, right? And so it's very important for us that we not hide behind, well, hey, I I ain't really been a part of these things. I really didn't do anything wrong. Consider Daniel. He goes into exile as a teenager who's got his head on straight by every evidence that we can see, prays, refuses to bow to to a false god, prays every day for repentance for his people. He never goes home. He spent the entire 70 years in exile. He's buried in Babylon. What did he do wrong? No better, what did he do right? Right? How did he function within that frame, within the time that he was in and what the people were going through, what he was willing to stand up and say on behalf of the people? He was willing to bear the stroke from the Lord his God because he's that connected to his people. We tend to be radically individualistic and super disconnected. We would do well to be more like what we see biblically, right? And so Micah goes first. And then the Lord speaks up again. Now these next, I won't go through all of these, uh, verses 10 through 15, essentially are wordplay, And this is some of the brilliance of scripture and this is where if you don't study it deep, you miss it. But, but for uh, one that would make sense to us, it would essentially be saying there is no pity for Pittsburgh. So it's all this word play in the Hebrew where it's the judgment or the, the thing that Micah's is saying to them plays off of the name of the place. And so he's saying to them, either repentance, roll down, and these cities are a circle around where he is from, essentially, and it leads to Jerusalem. So there's a real geography to what God is saying. He's saying either repentance and lamentation move through these towns as it approaches the gate of Jerusalem, or my judgment will move and destroy these towns all the way to the gate of Jerusalem, and you cannot stop me. So he's telling them, you have have been warned, you have been told, let it be different. Listen, repent, lament, return. And then as he gets to verse 16, (coughs) he says, make yourselves bald, all right, I got that, check, I didn't really make myself bald. It just happened. Uh, Cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle for they shall go from you into exile. So here's what's interesting. Which generation is gonna suffer for the sins of the fathers and mothers? The next one. Have we not seen that? Over and over and over again, the next generation suffers more for the sins of the fathers and mothers that go before them uh, if if there is no repentance and lamentation and returning to the Lord. So he is warning them. This isn't just about what's gonna happen to you. It's what's gonna happen to your children who are supposed to be your delight. The children are a gift from God. We know that from the Abrahamic covenant. And how many ways in which do subsequent generations really struggle under the weight of the past sins of fathers and mothers that have gone before him. So he's saying, you need to embody this repentance. You need a, to, to, to do something that's so visible that everybody would know, here's what we're doing. And we all go together. You know, it would be an interesting thing. You gotta understand, in their culture, they have thick, usually really thick hair. I had thick hair at one time. Uh, Y'all would never have known it. Uh, But they had really thick hair, and to suddenly shave all that hair off, it would have been startling. It would have been this incredible, and you can't, and it's not just about the outward show, right? As Joel, which we've studied before, tells us, you must rend the heart, not just the garment. And he even goes on to say, look, our repentance may or may not draw the Lord to to be good to us in this generation. We need to recognize that our repentance, our lamentation is really ultimately for the next generation. And too often, that is not what we're thinking about because we are so selfishly self-focused about ourselves that we're almost like, hey, y'all next generation, fend for yourselves. I hope there's enough left for all of you, but I'm gonna use mine before I go. And so we need to be more cognizant of our connection. We've said this before at Christ Community Church many times over that the next gen- our connection to the next generation is so important, is so critical. And do we not have a divide? What does the, the next generation refer to us as? Some of us anyway. Is, is boomer uh, 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 something you say nicely to someone that's a little older? You say, okay, Boomer, I enjoy your wisdom. (laughs) And what kind of epithets have we come up with for the coming generations? Millennials, Gen Z, all kind of, we we just come up with stuff as if they are monolithic, as if they're flat, as if all that creativity that the Lord has put into those he's created that will show up in Revelation 7, that will fill heaven with its beauty. We will not be rendered flat into one tone, one voice, one culture in heaven. All of them will bring their offerings, the best of what they have. So why would we not want to enjoy the best of what is now and be affected by these things such that the next generation sees us better than previous generations? And so we, as God's church, need to recognize some of the stuff from the last 20 months. Did we... When COVID hit, and I remember the day actually Matt Peach came up to me outside before the storm hit. And he said, Hey, what's your uh, what y'all you gonna do about this COVID stuff? And I hadn't really, I'll be honest with you, it really wasn't real big on my radar. It sounded like at that time it just it, it didn't seem like it was gonna do what it did, which is foolish on my part, it shows my arrogance and ignorance. And so knowing who Matt was, and he's an actuary, and so he's about 12 steps ahead on these things, uh, I said, yeah, we're looking into it, man, we, we got a plan coming, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. And so I started taking it serious, and I thought, oh no, we're we're already behind, and like this is fixing to sweep us. And it did, y'all remember, we uh, thought we were going to worship on Sunday as of Friday night, they let us know that we couldn't be here. So we did a scramble drill. Joe Schelling loaned us a bunch of stuff. We did that initial hostage video, if you remember. Like, my friends were like, I think Cameron's blinking to send him beer and chips because somebody has kidnapped him. It was horrible. The Baxter boys were so offended, they almost left the church because they do video, right? Like, they were like, yo, you got to do better, dude. I was like, I know, I know, help me out. And they did, and, and it's been, <laughs> and the recording aspect has been better since. But, but did, we, did we pause for one second and go, Lord, are you trying to say something to us? Are you, are you Because you're sovereign. I don't care where it came from. Ultimately, it came from your hand. And you put us on ice, like big time. And many people even said it. They said the most affected place in all of their life was the church. That should have signaled to us, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to back up. We need to listen. We need to repent. We need to lament. There's some funky stuff going down. But instead, unfortunately, because we were kind of scrambling and trying to survive and we were bad predictors. If, if, if we're in the Old Testament, y'all would have had to stone me to death. I was a terrible false prophet. I kept saying, oh man, August, we good? September, I just didn't know it was gonna be like 2022 or something. I just didn't know the, the actual last part. But instead of actually going before the Lord as we should have, we just fought to survive as if the Lord had only given us scraps to lean on. And I'm sorry. I should have led you better. I should have been like Micah. I should have embodied lamentation and repentance so as to lead you before the Lord instead of just trying to lead us in wandering. I'm not saying it would have changed when we could have got back together. That's not the issue. The issue is I think the Lord was trying to say something to us And I think we missed it in some ways. But it ain't over. And the Lord's still speaking. And we can still learn from it. And there's a whole bunch of things that went down in that season that should have made us go, hold on a second, there is convulsions that only the Lord taking his hand off of things that that could happen. The injustices, the just craziness that was going down that was almost incomprehensible. Right? Like I can't even get my head around some of this stuff. And yet, we fought back to a position of protection as if we could protect ourselves, as if the problem wasn't inside the citadel, not outside. And so, church, the Lord has graciously allowed us to come back together even though I don't think we did what we should have done and I take full responsibility for that. So this holiday season, let us listen. Let us lament sin, not just our own, but it's prevalence in this world. Let us also be part of repenting, whether it's for ourselves or on behalf of the people that we love and are a part of. Let us also be about restoration. Remember, that is what we are ambassadors of. Let us be that as the most humble people, the most creative people in any given room because of what Christ has done for us. Listen to what John Calvin says about this passage. Now I think this is should be encouraging to you. Since God is said to melt the mountains with his presence, let us, hence, learn to rouse up all our feelings whenever God comes forth, not that we may flee to a distance from him, but that we may reverently receive his word, so that he may afterwards appear to us a kind and reconciled Father. For when we come humble and the pride and height of our flesh is subdued, he then immediately receives us, as it were, into his gentle bosom and gives us an easy access to him. Yea, he invites us to himself with all possible kindness. That the Lord then may thus kindly receive us, let us learn to fear as soon as he utters his voice. But let not this fear make us to flee away but only to humble us so that we may render true obedience to the word of the Lord. My question for us is this. What is God's purpose for confronting us with our sins? What's his purpose? Y'all say it out? Restoration. Restoration. Why do we act like... When he comes to confront us with something, we need to run or go get it fixed up as if he he didn't come to fix it in the first place. What atonement are you going to do greater than Christ? No offering can you bring of greater significance and eternal implication than what Christ has done on our behalf. And so, church, let us not be those who, when we hear or are confronted with our sin, we get immediately defensive or we immediately think it's condemnation. No, it is not. It is for the purpose of restoration. It is for the purpose of repentance and redemption. Remember, every example of judgment in the book of Scripture is immediate and it is over. For me or anyone else to confront you with your sin or for you to confront me with mine is gift. It's opportunity. And let us see it as such. And then how should this affect our posture towards God, God's word when it confronts and convicts us in the Holy Spirit? We should be ready to receive. We should be ready to hear. We should be ready to humbly respond When it's God's word, when it's one of God's image bearers who comes to us and says, you have hurt me, when it is someone that that we have forsaken in some way, shape, nor form, or ignored, or is just in our sphere of influence, we should be willing to hear. We should be willing to humbly receive. We should be willing to pursue reconciliation because God has done it with us with no motivation or benefit to himself whatsoever other than Fatherly love. So Micah 1, 1 through 16 teaches us that God's judgment mercifully begins with calling his people to listen and to repent. As we go through this season, that has to be where we begin. As we consider why did Christ come, why did Christ as God condescend, take on flesh and come before us Over the generations, well, because we were perishing, because sin and darkness were absolutely destroying us, and we had no way of being saved any other way. Advent is only and always about redemption. Now, does that mean you shouldn't throw the best parties? No. Man, I'm talking, we should be the ones throwing the best parties at Christmas, because we know what it's about. And we should be hospitable in who we invite. I was struck uh, the other night in God's providence. I chose Longhorn over Ted's. (laughs) And we went and we're sitting there and I see Susan look up and she goes, "Uh, that's my former sister-in-law. She's the waitress behind us. And she comes over, and there's a whole lot to this story that makes it more interesting than I can tell right now, but she comes over and is immediately hospitable and generous. She gave us the family discount, 25% at Longhorn. That ain't bad. That's like <laughs> 10 bucks. That was the mushrooms I ordered. She invited us to her son's football game. He plays for uh, uh, Kennesaw Mountain. Is that right? Is that the high school that's like the first time they're in the playoffs? I don't, did they win last night? Does anyone know? Kennesaw Mountain. No no Kennesaw Mountain fans in here, you should be ashamed of yourselves. They're amazing. (laughs) Uh, And so she invites us to the game. She invites us to come back, and I'm sitting there going, hold on a second. Is that me? As a Christian who has eternity within him, when I run up on people for which it is awkward and there could be a reconciliation issue, she and I have never talked. There's a whole lot of weirdness there. Am I that generous? Am I that inviting? Am I that willing to give of what I have for somebody so, who could need it, might need it? It was convicting. That's who we need to be. Give gifts. Give the best gifts. If you receive great gifts, give great thanks. I'm not saying that you should not do many of the things that are normative for the holiday season. What I am saying is you should do it with different lenses and a different perspective. And so let us begin This holiday season with leaning in to listen, expecting to hear from the word of the Lord and where he confronts us as judge, know that he does so with our best in mind. He does so with all that we would need in order to be restored to him and for him for the life of the world.